Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from Jesus, the light of the world. Amen. Uh, Ruth, when you get a chance, thank the Northwestern Choir and Chris uh, for us and uh, tell them that we look forward to having them back every Sunday until Jesus returns in his glory. That was great. Well, as uh, Pastor Nick said, and I uh, mentioned uh, last Sunday, uh, today is the day I get to uh, baptize our infant granddaughter, which uh, is a very first in my own life and ministry, and uh, prompted uh, one of you to stop by the office uh, here at St. Andrew last week and ask that I baptize Madison at all three services uh, (laughs) this Sunday so that nobody would miss it. And while the theology behind that question is just a little bit imprecise, uh, the sentiment is uh, very typical of our church family. And so uh, in lieu of uh, getting in trouble with my higher ups, there she is uh, shortly after her birth, right before Christmas. Uh, There I am uh, with her uh, at one of the greatest meetings I've ever gone to in my whole life. And and then here she is listening to grandpa's very first sermon last Sunday. (laughs) Uh, which, quite frankly, is how most of you look while I'm preaching. (laughs) Anyway, speaking of great uh, meetings, today we come to uh, yet another passage for the season of uh, Epiphany that may sound uh, a little familiar and much like last week's uh, passage uh, from the Gospel of John, which featured Andrew the fisherman, the namesake of our congregation, and his brother Simon called Peter, and that moment uh, when Andrew famously says to his brother, We have found the Messiah. Uh, Today's passage from the Gospel of Matthew may sound a little like it uh, because it also features Andrew the fisherman and Peter, his brother, except that instead of them finding the Messiah, today's passage is really more about the Messiah finding them. And there is a difference, actually, when in Matthew 4, chapter 19, uh, Jesus finds Andrew and Peter fishing off the coast of Lake Gennesaret, otherwise known to us as the Sea of Galilee. And he calls them to put down their nets, uh, to leave their fishing business, to follow him, and to go fishing for the souls of people with a new net known as the gospel. And uh, typically I have used that verse and jumped right into zoom in on that as a way of talking to you about what it means for you to follow Jesus, what you might have to leave behind Uh, in order uh, to do that. But today I want to uh, spend a little bit more time uh, with the other verses that surround and form the context uh, for that great meeting with Jesus. Because I think that in those words and verses, uh, there are some insights and maybe even gifts for you that will encourage those meetings in your life and, and motivate your response to God's call for you to follow him and to fish for people. And so... Uh, For example, as the curtain rises on the passage uh, today, uh, Matthew reports uh, a number of geographical references uh, to us. He says, uh, for example, that when uh, John the Baptist was arrested in the land of Judea, Jesus withdrew to Galilee. Now, when you think of the the whole land of Israel, the southernmost area or region is known as Judea. The northernmost region is known as the Galilee, far away. And between the two uh, is Samaria. And so Jesus moves from Judea to uh, Galilee, to the hill country. 
And then he also says that Jesus also moves from his hometown of Nazareth, which was this tiny little uh, hamlet up in the hills, uh, where uh, he was his hometown, where his father uh, Joseph made his living. And he moves about 35 miles northeast uh, to set up his headquarters for mission and ministry in the fishing village of Capernaum, about 11 o'clock on the northern shore of Lake Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee which according to uh, archeologists uh, had probably a population of maybe about 1,500 people, at least at that time. Matthew then goes on to say uh, that Capernaum was located within a larger region uh, that was known as Zebulun and Naphtali. You heard that uh, in the lesson after two of the 12 tribes of Israel. But what's really weird about this is that nobody had referred to that territory by those names, Zebulun and Naphtali, for literally hundreds of years. It was unfamiliar to them in a way, uh, in part because that territory had been long ago invaded by an Assyrian king uh, who brutally attacked its people, uh, deported uh, many of them, from which uh, many still had not yet fully recovered in that uh, part of the world. Another uh, far more uh, popular familiar name uh, was the Way of the Sea or the Road by the Sea. And that's because there were two primary highways that led people across the land to the west and to the shores of the Mediterranean. And it turns out that both of those highways actually passed through Capernaum this fishing village, which made it, you know, kind of a busy crossroads, a a place where, you know, some of the best and some of the worst of life's experiences happened. And then a third and far less flattering name for uh, that part of the world was Galilee of the Nations or Galilee of the Gentiles. Because Gentiles, in other words, non-Jews, also lived there in significant numbers along with the children of Israel. And contrary to a lot of religious regulation, many of them interacted with each other. And in some cases, even married each other, if you can believe that. And so what's the point of this little lesson in spiritual geography? The point is, the ground zero for the mission and ministry of Jesus was it a place that was far from religiously pure or especially holy? The epicenter for the mission and ministry of Jesus was in a place that was ridiculed, looked down upon, made fun of. In the hill country, it it was comprised of people who were wounded, who were under attack, who were uh, displaced, who were, were lost of travelers who passed through, foul-mouthed fishermen who made their living there in a place where, in the minds of many people, religion had been badly distorted, and a lot of people didn't even know who the true God even was. And I say that because that is the place where Jesus sets up shop so that they could find the Messiah, so that the Messiah could find his way to them. And when you know that, and when you know what all that geography really means, it tells you something, and what that tells you is that there is also a place for you in the ministry of Jesus. In spite of the fact that you may feel wounded, you may be feeling attacked or displaced, or, or you may know that you, quite frankly and honestly, are also religiously impure. 
And so by the time Matthew actually sits down to write this gospel, he has that figured out. And he has connected the dots so that the next thing he reports to us in the passage today uh, are the words of the great prophet Isaiah, which we read every year at Christmas time and during the season of Epiphany. When Isaiah, 700 years earlier, foretells a day where there would be a new beginning, a new fresh start for the people who lived. And guess where? Zebulun and Naphtali. The people who walked in darkness, he said, seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of deep darkness. On them, the captives, the people who were downcast, looked down upon, ridiculed, religiously impure. On them, the light has shined. And Matthew knows that Isaiah's promise has been fulfilled. It's been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And to emphasize that, he then goes on to quote Jesus, who at the inauguration of his ministry in and around Capernaum, quotes his incarcerated cousin John the Baptist, and he says to the world in which he ministered, repent, which is to say, you can change the direction of your life. You can turn everything around. Because the kingdom of heaven that is the kingdom of God, the grace of God, the Messiah of God, the person of Jesus, has come near to you. And so when Jesus finds Andrew and Peter fishing off the coast of Gennesaret, or what we call the Sea of Galilee, this is not his first meeting with them. We heard about that last week. But this meeting is different. Because this time, he finds them and he calls them out of the water to let down their nets, to follow him, and to go fishing for people with this good news of the kingdom of God and its power to turn everything around and to change your life in time and for all eternity. And uh, they respond to that, as Matthew reports, uh, by immediately dropping their nets. He says, immediately, Andrew and Peter drop their nets. Immediately, uh, two other brothers by the name of James and John drop their nets, and they follow Jesus. And the question is, you know, you know how'd that go? You know, how's that work? That Jesus comes along, and he calls them to follow him, and they, and they kind of robotically just drop everything, and they follow him as if they were under some sort of a spell or something. And, and I think the answer to that question lies in part in that lesson in spiritual geography that I just tried to share with you, and also in part because in first century Jewish rabbinic tradition, rabbis did not go out and recruit their disciples. If you wanted to be a disciple, of a rabbi or a follower of a rabbi, you were the one who went to him. And even then, not everybody was accepted. And so in this radical, stunning break, again, with religious tradition, Jesus, the Messiah, finds them where they lived, in their work, in spite of the fact that they were less than perfect, religiously impure in a number of ways, and he calls them 
to follow him in the greatest cause this world would ever know. And those guys were not about to miss the moment of a lifetime that would change everything. Sometime in the year uh, 2017, a man by the name of Mangesha Gela Shibru uh, was working. He had a job. He was the executive director of a nonprofit organization called uh, A Hope Ethiopia, which uh, served uh, orphans and families affected by HIV AIDS. It was good work. It was important work. And yet in the midst of the work, he heard the call of Jesus to go fishing for people. And so he made a big decision in uh, consultation and partnership with his wife uh, to leave his job. In fact, to leave his country, his home, his family behind and go and study for a degree in uh, business leadership at Concordia College in uh, Bronxville, New York. Uh, which combined the principles of uh, gospel outreach, of uh, missionary outreach with the principles of biblical leadership, very unique uh, kind of a program, having no idea at all uh, what God would do with that, where he would go, uh, either here in the States or back in Ethiopia or maybe somewhere else in the world. But in the course of his study, once his coursework was complete, he had to uh, serve in an internship, and he had a hard time finding out, you know, and getting the right fit as to where that internship would uh, take place. And so uh, one day he had a meeting with the president of the college, and at that meeting the college president handed him a piece of paper, and he said, here, here's, here's the phone number, and here's the name of a pastor. Call him. And he said, well, before I, I called him, you know, I decided to do a Google search, and find out a little bit, and, and when uh, the image came up on the screen, he said, wait a minute, I know this guy. I visited his church in Maryland for one of my projects. His, his daughters attend my college. So he made the call, not knowing that the call was also brewing on our end. So the Mangesha Gela Shebrew came to Maryland, came to St. Andrew to serve as our missionary intern for a period of one year, or so we thought. But at the end of that year, God had blessed that ministry so greatly that instead of going back to Ethiopia and to his family, his family came from Ethiopia to Maryland. And he became our director of outreach to Amharic-speaking people and now to people who speak languages other than Amharic who are from uh, that part of the world. And then we discovered that that really was only part of the call. That through it all, the Spirit was calling Mangesha not just to be a director, but to be a pastor. And so he applied to our seminary's online program of theological education uh, for multicultural ministers, and he was accepted. And he started at the beginning of January. As a part of his theological education leading to his ordination, Mangesha has to uh, serve as a vicar, uh, which is to say a student pastor under the supervision of a, of a supervising, mentoring uh, pastor. Two weeks from today, Mangesha Gela Shebrew will be installed as the vicar of the Lutheran Church of St. Andrew, which is to say the whole congregation until his theological education is complete and he is ordained, God willing, 
right here at the head of the aisle. And you need to pray for him because his supervising pastor is me. <laughs> or consider the story of Sandy Getch, another member of our congregation, whose husband died in November after a very difficult, years-long illness. His funeral at all time, of all times took place on Thanksgiving weekend. Shortly thereafter, she lost one of her dearest friends, and ours, also a member of our congregation, whose funeral took place during the week of Christmas, which made it all the more meaningful, at least to me and I know to many others, when Sandy Getch, of all people, walked up to that microphone at that funeral service, and she read the prophecy of Isaiah. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who live in the land of deep darkness, on them, light has shined. That light, she knows, we know, is the person of Jesus, who changes everything. For the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the place that was religiously impure. I thank God for Sandy and her meetings with Jesus. I thank God for Mangesha and his meetings with Jesus. And I wish that kind of faithful life for a beautiful little girl who was about to be baptized and for all of God's children, including every one of you, so that no matter what your circumstances are, what your vocation happens to be, you might see your higher purpose as God calls you out of the waters of your baptism to take the net of the gospel and to go out in this world fishing for people, assuring you that your background is no obstacle to him, what you have done or what you have failed to do, that is not an obstacle to him, your religious impurity, that's not an obstacle to him. Uh, your anxiety, your questions, your doubts, your fears, your grief, none of those things are obstacles to him. And so God bless you today as you grab the net and get going once again for the glory of God so that more of our sisters, more of our brothers in this human family can join you and me in saying, I have found the Messiah because the Messiah found me. And now I walk through the darkness in the light of God and on to the greatest meeting of all. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs>